A warm welcome to our visitors. You are guests of honor. Uh, thank you for being here, and God bless you. We hope to be an encouragement to you, for you have already been an encouragement to us. If this is your first time visiting with us, or if you had not had opportunity before, we ask you if you'd be so kind as to fill out the visitor's card in front of you in the pews there, and uh, give it to me after the, the sermon, after the service. This morning we're going to take a look at a very unusual event in the life of Jesus. We can find that in the Gospel of Mark, so if you would please turn with me in your Bibles to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, and we're going to start our reading in verse 12, and I'm reading from the NIV. Now this is a really unusual story because I don't think there's another story like this in all of the Gospels, and we'll see that shortly. We're going to read about Jesus and a fig tree and Jesus in the temple. So in verse 12, Mark writes, The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And I'm going to stop the reading there. That is the story of Jesus and the fig tree. Now, what I want to do is go back and take a closer look and look at some of the details involved here. Now, the last time I had the privilege of talking to you, I recommended a method to understand the Bible, the scriptures, and it was a three-step method. Hopefully you remember, but if not, it's three steps, ask why, simplify, and compare. That is, ask why, simplify, and compare. And that's what we're going to do here in this story. Ask why, step one. It is a technique, but it's also even more so an attitude. I don't know about you, but I have read the Bible many times, and many times in doing so, I have glossed over some things, some amazing truths, some incredible events, and I just glossed over it. And then perhaps God blessed me so that maybe a hundred times later down the road, I read it and I thought, what was I thinking? Why did I miss that all these times? You know, I glossed over it. So ask why. 
That's not a promise that you're going to understand everything and all answers are going to be given to you. I'd love for that to be. But it is an attitude of exploring. You know how the way scientists will love the creation and they can't wait to explore it. I think of Jacques Cousteau who loved the oceans. I'm dating myself, okay? That's, that's really old from the 60s. But he loved the oceans and he loved to explore it. And as Christians, we are to love the Bible and love to explore it because it's a wonderful mystery and it has such beautiful truths in it like buried treasure. So ask yourself, why? And here, as we read this, Jesus has cursed a fig tree. And I ask, why? And I can't really think of another example or an incident in the Bible, in the Gospels, where Jesus does this. It's not like it's his habit to go around cursing pe people or objects, things. You know, it, is it, why did he do this? Is it like, well, he woke up and he had a really bad night. You know, you ever wake up with a crick in your neck because you slept funny and all day long you had that crick in your neck or the crick in your back and you were in a really bad mood? You know, was he saying to himself, these hard-headed apostles, I can't teach them anything. All I want is a fig from this tree and I can't get it. That's it. I've had enough. Tree, be cursed. Zzz. I don't think so. I think there was a reason why he did what he did. We're not going to get the answer right away. We're going to get this answer hopefully by the end of the sermon. But we need to ask why. Why would Jesus do such an unusual thing? Now there's one, uh, one other why question I want to ask. And that is, when you look at the last verse 20, where it says, the fig tree withered from the roots. One of the things I love about the Bible is it'll give you a little detail, just a couple of words, and yet there's a lot of meaning in that couple of words. Why does it say from the roots? Okay, it says it's withered. Why does it say from the roots? So I want to give you uh, a verse to look at in contrast, and that's found in Daniel, in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 4. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. In Daniel chapter 4, as we turn there, the Old Testament is rather large. In Daniel chapter 4, in verse 26, And the, the background here is that Daniel is serving King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar has been given a dream, a vision by God in a dream about a tree. And this tree is to be cut down. So I want to read to you this sentence to contrast it to our story in Mark. In, Math, in Daniel 4, in verse 26, Daniel says, The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Because in this vision, the tree was cut down. And he says, so that means the kingdom is going to be taken away from King Nebuchadnezzar. But it's going to be restored because the stumps are left. The stump with its roots. Now, what does that mean? Contrast that back to Mark 11. The tree was withered from the roots. And what that means is that the tree is dead. It is irrevocably dead. 
It is dead and never to be restored again. Dead, dead, if you will. It is irrevocably dead. And that, then with those few little words, it's emphasizing this, this fate, this state. Okay, so we've asked why. Now what I want to do is simplify some of these uh, truths here. And simplifying it is something that the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And we're going to make this generic so that we understand these scriptures on a fundamental level, at their very basic level. So let's look at verse 12. It says, The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. Let's simplify that. And what we see here is that God desired fruit from his creation. God desired fruit from his creation. Simplified, basic, and generic. What was the result? When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Let's simplify that. God's creation did not produce its intended fruit. Jesus was not looking for apples from the fig tree. He wasn't looking for pears or anything else. He was looking for figs, and there was no figs. God's creation did not produce its intended fruit. Verse 14. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. So when God's creation did not produce its intended fruit, God cursed his creation. And this is the only example I can think of where Jesus does such a thing. And if you can find one, I'd love to hear about it. This is the only one that comes to mind to me. God cursed his creation. And in verses 20 and 21, in the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. The result here is that God's creation is dead. Totally dead. Irrevocably dead. So now let me put those, all those simplified statements together so you get the full impression of this. God desired fruit from his creation. His creation did not produce its intended fruit. And when it did not, God cursed his creation. And in the end, God's creation is dead. Now, having heard all those simplified statements together, do any scriptures come to mind? Does it remind you of anything else that you have read elsewhere in the Bible? Because step three is now we're going to compare the, these truths to some other verses. And then we're going to compare it to what happened in the temple. So, Mark, Mark 11, and then turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. And in Matthew chapter 3, we're going to read the words of John the Baptist. God desired fruit from his creation. In Matthew 3, verse 1, we read, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God, heaven is near. And in verse 5, 
People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Imagine coming to verse and the, and the preacher tells you, you're a brood of vipers. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Note this, verse 8. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, I'll be good with God because Abraham is my father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. God desires fruit from his creation. Let's end the next statement. God's creation did not produce its intended fruit. Let's look at John 15. We just had a wonderful scripture reading, and then we had a hymn about bearing fruit. In John 15, we'll read about the vine and the branches. In verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes or cleans so that it will be even more fruitful. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Isn't that humbling? Apart from me, you can do not a little, not a something, nothing. We can't do anything without Jesus. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches, branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. God's creation did not produce its intended fruit. God intends for us to all, all of mankind, everyone, man and women, black, white, red, yellow, rich, poor, to be fruitful, to bear fruit for him, a godly character. When it did not, God cursed his creation. So let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 6. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. If you're in James, turn back to Hebrews. We're going to look at chapter 6, and we're going to look at an analogy starting in verse 7 of Hebrews 6. Here the writer writes in verse 7, Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, that is the farmer, receives the blessing of God. Now here's the contrast in this analogy. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless. Nobody ever said, well, I'd love to give you a big price for that sticker bush uh, on that acre that you've got there. Is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. See, when the creation did not produce its intended fruit, 
God cursed his creation. They are in danger of being cursed. And then our last simplified statement, as a result, God's creation is dead. The second part of this verse, in the end, it will be burned. It will be burned. It's useless land. It needs to be cleansed. Now, we've seen these principles here. In fact, I want to read one more set of verses from Revelation. So if you would turn with me to Revelation. And in Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20, we've talked about death and we've talked about fire. In Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 13, we're going to see them tied together. Revelation 20 and verse 13, on the day of judgment, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. A horrible fate. A horrible, horrible fate. God's creation is dead. Now, having looked at these principles, let's go back to Mark 11, and we're going to compare this to the people in the temple at Jerusalem. So in Mark 11, I'm going to read in verse 17. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this. These are the people that know the law of God better than anybody else on earth. Wouldn't they be the first people to draw to God and want to please him, to do what he says and to show others how to do it? to share that with everyone else? Are they mournful? Do they say, wow, we have done wrong. We need to do what's right. They heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. That is their response. Kill the preacher. Please don't do that. They're looking to kill the preacher. And you see that right here. You see these simplified statements right here that God desired fruit from his creation, not figs, but hearts in keeping with repentance that are willing to put God first and me second or less. Not my will, but your will be done. When God's creation does not produce that fruit, God will curse that creation. They're in danger of being cursed. And as a result, in the end, God's creation is dead. Dead and irrevocably dead. Never to be restored, as we have read in Revelation 20. This is a serious warning for the Pharisees, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. It's a serious warning for everyone there. These events are tied together. They're sandwiched, if you will. You have the cursing of the fig tree and the results, and in between is the events in the temple. They're sandwiched together to, sh to link them, to show. They are in danger of being cursed just as that fig tree. 
anyone, the message is the same today, that is not willing to produce fruit in keeping with repentance to God is in danger of being cursed irrevocably, never to be restored again. Now, I want to tell you, this is not a doom and gloom lesson. It might seem that way, but it is not. For Christians, it is actually a serious warning to join in with Jesus to say, as he said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. For anyone who is not a Christian, it is an urgent and loving call. It's a call to live the life that really is the best life. It's a life not to please yourself, not the life of a narcissist or anything less, but a life to please God who wants the very best for us, who loves us. He loves us so much. That's why he made us. He didn't make us to condemn us. He made us so that we would love him too, love him in return, and that we would be willing to say to him what you want, what you want first. That's the best life of all. That's the life we should live all along. Peter talks about this in 2 Peter chapter 3. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, and James. 1 Peter, 2 Peter. As you look in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, Peter writes, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, talking about the return of the Lord to take us home. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you. He's patient with me. Aren't you glad he's patient with you? Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He doesn't want anybody to perish because he didn't make us to, to perish. He didn't make us to condemn us. He made us so that we would love him and tell him yes and live with him forever and ever. And lastly, Peter says, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, he speaks in, in verse 36. He talks about repentance yet again. He says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is saying, Be sure. Jesus Christ, that is the chosen one, is Lord. That is, he is the creator. He is the maker of heaven and earth. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were grieved. They were mournful. They didn't plot to kill Peter. They were grieved and mournful as they, the Jews plotted to kill Jesus. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent. That is to change your mind. That's what it means, to change your mind, to see your life to s the way God sees it as no longer what I want, but what you want. Every one of you, and be baptized, that is to be dipped, to be immersed. That's what the word means, to be dipped in water. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, and here's the reason why, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, 
and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. For everyone, the promise is for you to live your life, to repent and live your life for God. He's calling you, calling you so that you will come be with him and live with him forever. So if you're not a Christian, I ask you, please come forward. Make this day the day you become a Christian. Make this day the day you are baptized and say yes to God. Please come forward now while we stand and sing the invitation song.